0: This evening's scripture reading is Matthew 25, 20, and 21. Matthew 25, 20, and 21. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, uh, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I know this evening that uh, Brother Mike arrived safely in Denver. Uh, I was... Concerned, like many of you might have been with today's weather and how that would go. He suffered a little delay, I understand, but uh, did make it safely. So uh, again, he's teaching this week at Bear Valley, so please keep him in your prayers. Uh, I told him when I got back from East Texas recently, uh, spoke a number of times at a family camp and drove over there, spoke, drove home, and told him, I said, I don't know how you do it. I said, I just have no idea how you do it. You go and teach for a whole week, All day, every day, you fly there, you fly home, you get up, you preach Sunday morning like nothing ever happened. So uh, he's incredible, and we're thankful for him, and uh, Lord willing, he's going to do the same thing a week from today uh, after having taught all week. So uh, do please continue to keep him in your prayers. We appreciate the good work that he does uh, with Bear Valley. If you've seen the uh, bulletin today, then you can maybe understand, or you've seen the the, uh, sermon title that I have tonight. It is entitled, Are the Saved Lucky? Are the Saved Lucky? I am not here tonight to talk about luck as a subject, but there are a couple of things I want to say just from the offset and uh, and just help us as we get into our study tonight uh, to think about being lucky. I remember as a boy, uh, my dad worked for a jeweler and he was an older older man and And he was funny. He was really funny. He was a member of the church, and I loved him, and he was a great man, and he had a great sense of humor. And he had a cartoon hanging on the wall by his workbench, and you've probably seen something similar to it. But it was a a lost poster for a lost dog. And on that poster, he said, uh, Help me, I've lost my dog. He has three legs, one eye, half an ear, no tail, And he answers to the name Lucky. Lucky. You've seen a cartoon similar to it. In sports, we see that term used a lot. You've got a basketball player who is uh, seeing a ball go out of bounds. He runs as fast as he can. He grabs it right before it goes out of bounds. He heaves it behind his head, and it goes into the basket. And they call that a lucky shot. The lucky shot. In football, a football player, a field goal is needed to be kicked. It's a long field goal. The, the football goes up. It bounces off the crossbar. It bounces off one of the sidebars and bounces through. And they call that a lucky bounce. It's a lucky bounce. We use the term a lot. Somebody wins the lottery. We walk in and they, they scratch off some things and they give some numbers. And we look at that person and we say, wow, they are so lucky. They're so lucky. It's just a word that we throw out there. And I'm afraid that it finds itself in the mouth of too many members of the church. Too many Christians using that word as if it is something we just throw about and say, well, wow, look at how lucky things are. Look how lucky he is. Look how lucky she is. And lots of times what we're doing in sports, that is a lucky shot. We would call it that. And that is a lucky bounce. The football just happened to do, do what it did. But the save will not enter into heaven because they're lucky. They're not going to enter heaven because they're lucky. Will read for us a moment ago the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, where he gives in that parable, the parable of the talents as we know it, to the, the man who was given five talents who went and earned five more, the man who was given two talents and he went and earned two more, to both of those men, the master says, well done, good and faithful Servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Brethren and friends, I am living to hear those words. I am living my life to hear those words from the mouth of my Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus will never say to anyone who goes into heaven, well done, lucky you. He's not going to do that. I need to know that we are not going to make it into heaven because we're lucky. We will enter into heaven because we are faithful. We will enter into heaven because we understand who God is and we have given him our lives in obedience. Only then will we be saved. Only then will we make it into heaven. I'm living my life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I remember when I was in school, going through preacher's training school, we had a missionary from overseas who came and uh, he talked to us one day, and just in passing he said, luck is what the fool calls it when God smiles at him. Luck is what the fool calls it when God smiles at him. I'm not going to be saved because I'm lucky. I'm not accidentally going to make it into the land of promise, into the land of heaven. And so there are things that I need to be doing in my life in order to be prepared to enter into the land of promise, into heaven. Tonight what I want to do is look at a bit of a character study, going to the Old Testament and looking at Joshua. And I want to look tonight briefly at six things in the life of Joshua that will help me to be prepared to enter into the promised land. I'm not going to enter because I'm lucky. I'm not going to stumble into heaven. I will not get there by accident. But there are things that need to be in place in my life that I might enter into the land of promise as Joshua did. And so I opened my Bible to Joshua chapter 5. And I began looking together at, at this life of Joshua and some things that were in place in his life that I need to think about in mind. Joshua did not enter into the land of promise by accident. There are six things in his life. Number one, humility. If I enter into heaven, it will be because I have humbled myself. It will be because I'm striving in my life to be humble. So I open my Bible to Joshua chapter 5, and I go right to the end, beginning in verse number 13. The Bible says, "...and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho..." ...that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, "...are you for us or for our adversaries?" So he said, "...no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come." And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, "...what does my Lord say to his servant?" And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, "...take your sandal off your foot... For the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. That's what the Bible says. Now, in a recent sermon that I preached here at Westside, I looked in the Old Testament to the angel of the Lord. And what I tried to do was lay out some evidence for what I believe is the angel of the Lord being the second person of the Godhead. I am looking at this in Joshua chapter 5 through the eyes that say what Joshua saw or who Joshua saw was in fact the second person of the Godhead. The commander of the army of the Lord was in fact the second person of the Godhead. Angels in the Old Testament, angels in the New Testament, they do not ask for worship. They do not demand worship. But the commander of the army of the Lord demanded worship of Joshua. Take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground, and Joshua did so. Brethren and friends, if I'm going to go to heaven, if I'm going to enter into the land of promise, I need to take my sandals off my feet. I need to be willing to understand that I am on God's ground, that I did not create anything around me, that this life really is not my own that I am made in the image of God Almighty. Genesis 1 and verse number 26. And the place where I stand is holy ground. We're here tonight not to worship me or you or anybody else. We're here tonight to worship God. I will go to heaven if I live a life that is willing to submit to God. Recognizing God for who He is, understanding His worthiness... ...of my worship and praise... ...and understanding that this life is really not about me. I need to see what Joshua saw. There is no one like God. I really love Brother Mike. I love sermons like the ones he preached today. You can just tell as he's up here speaking... ...that he is passionate about what he is saying that he wants so badly to take the pages of Holy Writ and write it on our hearts, that he wants so badly for us to see what the Bible says about a great God and submit ourselves to him. Joshua did. Joshua was in the presence of God, and he humbled himself, and you and I need to live lives of humility as well. And so I go to the New Testament, and I look in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I think about these words of Peter to Christians in the New Testament. To those who are saved. And he's continuing to exhort. He's continuing to encourage. He's continuing to try to help them through life. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says things like this, beginning in verse number 13. He says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. What was Joshua told? Remove the sandals from your feet. The place where you're standing is what? It's holy. Conduct yourself here in holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing, he says, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Remember who you are and who you belong to. You will not go to heaven because you're lucky. You'll go to heaven because you have lived a life of holiness understanding who God is, and you will clothe yourself in humility. I go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I look at verse number 5, where Peter says again, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I'm living my life for God to exalt me in due time, in his time. For me to live my life in humility, understanding who he is, that I might be exalted by him when my day comes to be in his presence. I'm living my life to be exalted. That's what we need to think about when we think about Joshua. He's entered into the promised land. We know this already looking at the fact that that he's already across the river and he's already uh, near the city of Jericho And yet, he is to live his life in holiness and humility. I will go to heaven if I live a life of humility. Number two, as I think about Joshua and his character, one who entered into the land of promise, I need to remember my past. I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, if I live a life of humility, submitting myself to the will of God. I will go to heaven, I will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant, if I remember my past. Now let's just think about Joshua for a minute. Don't let this be lost on you, as sometimes it has been on me. You know that exiting uh, the land of Egypt, you know they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you know that that they were told to enter into the promised land, and so 12 spies were sent out to, to view the land... Ten spies come back and say, there's no way, just can't do it. We need to stay where we are. In fact, it would be good if we just went back to Egypt at this point. There's no way that we can go into that land. And you remember, two people stood up and said, quit it, quit it, we can go in. Joshua and Caleb. Now God is going to hold everybody that is over the age of 20 accountable for refusing to go into the promised land. And so, yes, it is possible that some of those who are younger than the age of 20, uh, who have wandered now in the wilderness for 40 years, that maybe in their minds they can go back to Egypt. But I know that Joshua can. I know that Joshua, in his mind, can go back to captivity. He can remember. He can remember what it was like. He can remember when they slaughtered the Passover lamb, And they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost and on the lintel above. Joshua, in his mind, is going to be able to go back to the day of the Passover. He's going to go back in his mind. And he's going to remember the fact that they were fully clothed, even with their shoes on their feet and a staff in their hand, as they ate the Passover meal. And Joshua, in his mind, he can go back and he probably could remember, no doubt he could, the night that the angel of death would pass over the land of Egypt. I wonder what it was like when that angel passed over where he was. I wonder what it was like to hear the screams of those who were not prepared for that night. You ever thought about that? Do you know that Joshua could, could probably hear screaming from those who lost the firstborn in their home? And you know, Joshua was there. When Pharaoh finally caved and said, get out of here. Joshua was there as they plundered the Egyptians, taking their gold and articles of clothing as they exited. Bondage. Joshua was there. Joshua could remember. He could go back in his mind to what it was like when they were in captivity, and he could remember what God had done to deliver them from that captivity. He could go back. He could think about it. Then he could go back to the Red Sea. He could go back to crossing through the Red Sea on dry ground as walls of water were on both sides. He and his mind could go back to when they went out of the sea and turned around and watched as the water came and crushed the enemy, the Egyptians who were in pursuit. I'm telling you, Joshua could go back and he could remember. As he's now entered into the promised land, he could go back. Adam, don't you forget to remember. Don't you forget to remember. You'll go to heaven if you never forget. You'll never forget Ephesians 2 and verse number 1. Don't you ever forget that you yourselves once walked in darkness. Don't forget, Ephesians 2, verse number 12, that you were without God, that you were once without hope. Don't you forget. Don't you forget what God has done for you. Don't you forget that you were once in bondage to sin, Romans 6 and verse 17. Don't you forget. Adam, don't you dare forget what God has done to deliver you. Don't you dare forget. Don't you dare forget to remember the past. Don't you dare forget that you were cleansed from your sins. 2 Peter 1 verse 9. Peter says, some of you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your sin. Isn't that amazing? I am reminding you, he says more than once... I am stirring up your minds by way of reminder. You can't forget your past. Adam, please don't forget your past. You know, uh, September 11th, every year since 2001, there's always a uh, playing on TV, there are always these uh, videos, there's always these scenes of the past that come up before us. And across the news stations, and, and we have uh, parades and different things. And, and on the TV, there's always a banner that seems to roll, and it says, We will never forget. Well, I remember that day. If you were old enough to live that day, you remember where you were. I can recall in my mind very specific events of that day. I can trace myself pretty much through the whole day. That day, September 11, 2001. I can't remember what I did last week, but I can remember remember that day more than 20 years ago. Don't you ever forget what God has done for you. I'd say not a day went by that Joshua didn't think of what God had done for him. You see, you'll go to heaven not because you're lucky, Not because you're going to get there by accident, but because you will remember what God has done and the price that Jesus paid on the cross for you so that you can be saved. You'll go to heaven. Number three, I'll consider my future. I'll go to heaven because I'm clothed with humility. I'll go to heaven because I remember my past. I'll go to heaven because I'm considering my future. And on this point, what I want you to really think about is the fact that God wants me to go to heaven. Now, don't forget that. What is God's desire for me? His desire is for me to go to heaven. His desire is for you to go to heaven. He is not against you. He is very much for you. My parents told me that a lot as I was growing up. Adam, I'm not against you. You want to do something, I don't want you to do it. I'm telling you no. I'm not against you. I'm very much for you. I need to remember that with God. He's not against me. He's for me. Romans 8 verse 31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? I want to know that in the future, the desire of God is for me to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 verse number 4. That's his desire for all men to be saved. He wants me to go to heaven So I think about Joshua and now I go back to Numbers chapter 14 and the day that we've already talked about some with the day that that so many refused to enter into the promised land and I'm reminded about Joshua that day and Caleb with him and what the Bible tells us about them. But notice in Numbers chapter 14 in verse number 6, the Bible tells us that Joshua the son of Nun... ...and Caleb the son of Jephunneh... ...who were among those who had spied out the land... ...they tore their clothes... ...and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel... ...saying, The land we passed through to spy out... ...is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us... ...then he will bring us into this land and give it to us... ...a land which flows with milk and honey. They go on to say in verse 9... ...only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord, catch it, is with us. The Lord is with us. And so he concludes by saying what? Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord delights in us, verse 8. The Lord is for us, verse number 9, and so do not fear them. Please don't forget that God is for you. He is with you. His desire is for you to be saved. I want to consider my future and the fact that God wants me to be with Him so badly that He gave us His Son. So badly is his desire for us to be saved that he did everything he could do to provide us a way to go home. Jesus, in John chapter 14, comforting his disciples, said, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I'll go to heaven if I keep my eye on heaven, if I consider my future, if I don't let anything here distract me if I don't question the goodness of God, if I don't question the greatness of God, if I don't question the fact that God is very much for me, and so I will trust Him, and I will obey Him, and I will do what He says, I will go to heaven, and I will be with Him. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I will remember, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep His commandments, Ecclesiastes 12, Verses 13 and 14. I will keep that in mind. I will be humble as I go through life. I will remember my past. I will consider my future. Joshua, what else do I need to do? Number four. I want to identify my next battle. Identify my next battle. What's my next battle? I think about Joshua, don't you, and the battles that he fought? You know, he entered into the land of promise, and then what did he have to do? He had to fight. He had to conquer it. There is a a rest that is available, but but the true rest is heaven. We're battling here so that we can go home and rest with God. Joshua had to battle as he entered the promised land. So now I go back to the book of Joshua, and I return again to Joshua chapter 6 and I think more about what the Bible tells us in the life of Joshua and what he teaches us. Now We've covered three. I've got three more. Just very briefly, I want you to think about this with me. Go back and we see at the end of chapter 5 again that he has encountered the commander of the Lord's army. And then we find, beginning in chapter 6, that after Joshua has taken his sandals off his feet, the place where he's standing is holy. He understands this. Now you get to chapter 6 in verse number 1. The Bible says, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none came in. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and all the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. You should do this for six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, But the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass, when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Okay. All right. Okay, God, this is what you say to do. Maybe you're scratching your head a little bit if you're Joshua... ...and you're saying, okay, I may not understand all of this. This is what you told me to do. But what does the Bible tell us that Joshua did? Look at verse number 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them... ...take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city... ...and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord... And that's exactly what they did. After getting everybody in line, the next word out of Joshua's mouth is what? Proceed. Proceed. It's time to go. There's a battle to be fought. There's a battle to be won. I trust that God is going to do exactly what he said he would do, I trust that God tells me exactly what I need to do, and when I do it, God is going to be faithful. God is going to respond that these are the results that we're going to get. So Jericho is conquered. What's the next battle? Let's go to Ai. All right, now you've got some sin of Achan to clean up, but the next battle is Ai. What's the next battle? What's the next battle? What's the next battle? Can I ask you in your life? What are you battling today? What am I battling today? With whom am I trying to fight? Do you understand that, that God is very much for you? And that you and I have battles to fight? What I'm really wanting us to think about is... Joshua had Jericho in front of him. And then he had Ai in front of him. And then he's got the next cities to conquer... And the next land to conquer... As as he is going about this, it's all laid out for him. And we can see this through the book of Joshua. And we can see all of these battles that he had in front of him. And he understood the direction that he had to go. And the land had to be conquered. And he knew that God was going to help him do this. But can I ask you, as I ask myself... Adam, what are your battles? What I really want to ask you tonight... Is what is Satan using to battle with you? Said another way, what are your weaknesses tonight? What are your weaknesses tonight? Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I'm afraid that too many times in my life that I have lost the ability to mourn over my sin. I've lost the ability to be touched by my sin. That there are times in my life where I become way too calloused and it just doesn't register when I'm going against the will of God. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 and verse 4 is you better have a soft heart that is willing to examine your life and when you find weakness, you better get it corrected. Many faithful Christians can read the Bible and understand, well, these are sins that I need not to commit. We look at moral sins and we look at, at, at these different types of, types of sins and you say, well, that's not an area of weakness for me. I don't struggle with that particular uh, area of sin. That, that, that just really isn't a great temptation for me. Maybe it's not, but what is? And maybe it's not a sin of commission, sin that you commit, but maybe it's an area of omission in your life. You ever read the Bible with a mindset that says, God, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I want to do. God, whatever you say not to do, I don't want to do that. Well, I know that I don't want to do that. But how many times do we look and say, God, tell me what to do. What am I not doing that you need me to do? What's your battle? What's your next battle? What's that area in your life that you need to shore up? That area in your life where the devil is getting to you that you need to stop? What's your area of weakness? I don't like to look at it either. <laughs> That's not a fun thing to examine. But as I do, I think about I think about some of these areas. I think about these areas of omission in my life. Maybe it's evangelism that I'm omitting my responsibility. Maybe it's an area like generosity or giving or caring about others. Maybe it's... My prayer life. Maybe it's my Bible study habits. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is sinful behavior that I'm trying to justify. Maybe it is sinful behavior that I'm, I'm trying to think little about, that I just really don't want to give any thought to. I don't know what it is in your life, but as I begin to think about it in mine, there are areas that I need to shore up. What's your next battle? What's in front of you? What is the devil using to fight you? I will go to heaven if I identify the next battle. If I identify the next battle. If I shore up areas of weakness. Again, God, aren't you glad? He's not expecting you to be perfect. But He's asking us to look into holy writ, to look into His word And look at ourselves as if it's a mirror. What do we see when we look into the law of God? James is asking us to look into the law of God. What do we see? What kind of reflection is there? It takes a moment of honesty to really give thought to. What are my priorities in life? What's really important to me? What's the next battle that I need to identify? Number five, as I think about these battles, I think about Joshua. And I think about the fact that he he didn't fight alone. Don't fight alone. That's number five. You'll go to heaven if you don't try to fight alone. You'll go to heaven. I'll go to heaven if I understand that I can't do it by myself. I'll go to heaven if I understand that in God's wisdom, he established the church. And the church is to help each other get home. And I don't try to do it by myself. You know, the Bible says that Joshua went and fought by himself. Now, I think he had great faith. I think he had great faith. I think the city of Jericho, in fact, I know the city of Jericho was, was really won without a lot of, of casualty on the part of the children of Israel. And you look at a lot of these battles and God would take just a few and he would defeat the multitude. But Joshua never went to a fight by himself. Don't try to do that. Quit trying to go through life by yourself. And we try to justify this by saying things like, well, I just don't want to be a burden. I just don't want to be a burden. I can appreciate that on the one hand. And on the other hand, it sounds a bit prideful. Can I just tell you, it sounds a bit prideful. There's some of us who are trying to do it by ourselves. Quit it. You're not going to do it. The devil is after you, and you are not made to fight by yourself. So quit it. Our sister Patty Rowe, she needs us. She needs to know that she's not alone. She needs not to fight this battle by herself. Our brother David Truitt, I don't know what our good brother has in front of him, but he needs not to fight that alone. He needs not to fight that alone. Whatever struggles we have in our lives, we don't need to fight alone. We're not designed to do that. God in his wisdom said, don't do that. We need to think about it. Don't be too prideful to ask for help. Don't be too full of yourself and think that you're too big. You're not. I'm not either. We serve a God who is big. And he says, don't do it by yourself. I think about Romans chapter 12 and the body of Christ and what Paul has to say here to Christians in reminding us about our value in the body of Christ. And again, I understand that this is written to New Testament Christians in the first century and they had miracles of the Holy Spirit given to them that that you and I don't have today. And yet there's a principle here that Paul is is reminding us in Romans 12 and verse number 3. He says, For I say... ...through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you... ...not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think... ...but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... ...but all the members don't have the same function... ...so we, being many, are one body in Christ... ...and individually members of one another. You're not alone. It's never designed for you to be alone. You'll go to heaven. I'll go to heaven... I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, if I don't try to do it by myself. Don't do it alone. Number six. Finally, Joshua shows us, don't question your influence. Don't question your influence. That is, help others get to the land of promise Joshua uh, he just he never really showed a selfish moment I really appreciate that about him he understood his role he understood what he was about he understood that Moses had gotten them so far and now God had chosen him to take the people over into the land of promise. And it was Joshua who was going to lead them in these battles. It was Joshua that God was looking at and the people were looking at. That's my leader. He had great influence. I think he had great influence in the book of Numbers. The people didn't listen. He couldn't persuade the multitude. I wonder if that haunted him later in life. I wonder if he asked himself, what if, could I have, what could I have done differently, Caleb and I? But I don't think he dwelt on it too long because he understood that he was a leader and he had great influence on others. Brethren and friends, may we not question our ability to help others go to heaven. You have influence on people that I will never have influence on. You know people that I may never ever know in this life. You have a sphere in your life. You have influence on others that nobody else might ever have influence on. Don't question your influence and your ability to be an influence. God needs me to be the salt of the earth. He needs me to be a light to the world. He needs me to be one that when people see me, they see Jesus. He needs me to live my life in such a way that I can be an example that other people would follow, not to give me glory, but to deflect that glory to God. He needs me to be the salt of the earth. He needs me to be the light of the world. But sometimes we just kind of rest on the fact that I can just be an example. Yes, you can. Yes, I can. But God also needs me to open my mouth. He needs me to open my mouth. He needs me to say something. I can use my influence. I can be a good example. But at some point, I need to do something. Say something. Show hospitality. I need to be... More, I need to do something to encourage and to teach. I just think Joshua never forgot the influence that he had on others and what he was really about and what he was trying to do. And I'll go to heaven, I'm convinced, if I don't forget the influence that I can have for others in this life, that I am a Christian. Because of what God has done for me in my past, I can help somebody change theirs. Because of what God has done for me in my past, I can help somebody in their future. As I consider my own future, I consider the future of those around me. And I consider what I can do to help them and encourage them to know the Lord and what He's done for them too. I'm living my life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And if I have given you the impression tonight that I am perfect in any way, then shame on me. That's not at all what I'm trying to convey to you. What I am trying to say is that God has provided us a way to be saved. And I'm reminding us tonight that we're not just going to stumble into heaven. That we're not going to get there by accident. That we're not going to be lucky and get there. We're going to get there because we have purpose to get there. We're going to get there because we love God and we obey Him. We'll get there because we fear God and keep His commandments. And so tonight, I want you to think about Joshua. And I want you to think about these points. And I want to ask you tonight, are you prepared for victory? I love pew-packers. You know I do. I love it. You love it too. Sometimes these songs that we sing all the time, they just sound differently when a little one is singing it. I heard an old, old story. The Savior came from glory. He gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Oh, victory in Jesus. Are you prepared for victory tonight? Are you prepared to go home? Are you living your life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Tonight, if the answer is no, I'm not prepared for victory. No, I think if actually I died tonight, those are not the words I would hear. I have great news. You're taking in breath. And tonight, you have an opportunity to change. Tonight, you have an opportunity to repent. Tonight, you have an opportunity to obey the gospel. Will you take advantage of it tonight? Tonight, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you ready to make that confession? Are you prepared tonight to repent of sin in your life? Are you prepared tonight to be immersed in the waters of baptism, to meet the blood of Jesus and have your sins washed away? Are you ready? Tonight... As a Christian, you examine your life and you think about Joshua and you think about these points we've made tonight and you say, I just want to go to heaven. There's just nothing more I want to do than go to heaven and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I do see areas of weakness in my life. I do see some things that I need to shore up, that I am identifying the next battle. Tonight, if we can help you, that's all we want to do because we're a family and that's what we're designed for. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, that's all we want to do. If there's an area of weakness that you need to respond tonight, uh, maybe in a public way to repent of sin, or tonight you just need your brethren to pray for you and with you, that's all we want to do. If we can help you in any way, won't you please come now as together we stand and sing.